everyone welcome back to talk time and we hope you enjoyed last week's episode and this week we're going to be looking at best of hardwick best hardwick aka or elizabeth candace of shrewsbury <laughs> candace of shrewsbury i've actually been to shrewsbury so. is it lovely well, I've, I've been a couple of times on an really? apple tournament, and we oh, stay in, like, okay. this really nice school. So it is quite nice, actually. Actually, it's... she was also known as Elizabeth Cavendish. Bess Hardwick was born in 1527 to John Hardwick and Elizabeth Leake. Um, her family, the Hardwick family, was was respectable. They were Derbyshire landowners, but they were not anywhere really near as wealthy as some of the other women that we've looked at in the past. I mean, you know, they were relatively modest in their wealth, although but, they were well-respected. Yeah, I think I read that they were impoverished. I think that they yeah. kind of like, while they still own land that maybe wasn't bringing in a big revenue. No. As, as their name suggests, they owned land in and, a, and close to Hardwick. Uh, but their main point Which is in Derbyshire. As I mentioned when I said they are Derbyshire landowners. Oh, well, sorry, I forgot. But their main point of living was a modest manor uh, on the site of Hardwick Old Hall, which, as the word modest suggests, wasn't really anything to write home about. But thankfully, or really not so thankfully, depending on your view, at the age of 12, Bess left Hardwick Old Hall to serve um, at Condor Castle, which was really nearby actually, and by the age of only 15, she got married for the first time to none other than Robert Barlow, who was heir to a neighbouring family, uh, and he was only 13. Unfortunately, this marriage did not, did not last very long. Robert Barlow died the following year, but this did not stop Bess uh she was she was up and living and however she's now still like a teenage widower and she got refused initially her dower which is basically like you've heard the term like dowager and it basically means like what well, it means like widowed if it's like dowager queen it's like the widowed queen and so basically it's kind of like the inheritance that you get for having been married to that person and she didn't get it like she was refused it by like a local authority and she was like, no, I'm not having any of this, which led to a long court battle, seven years long, Woof. which she eventually won, earning her share of the estate and financial compensation for the time and the effort of her going through a trial, basically. Um, and yeah, so she got... But in the meantime, she was a busy girl, Phoebe. <laughs> yeah, I mean, she was not stopped by this tragic death. I mean, by her mid-teens, she'd gained a position at court. And we think that this was probably working as a lady-in-waiting for Frances Grey, who, if you haven't listened to our episode on Lady Jane Grey, it was her mother. This is like... A really brilliant position to be in. She's risen and is now. So this was a really impressive position to have gotten to. She was really with all the elites. I mean, Frances Grey was very prominent. She was very closely related to the king. Um. So while she was at this court, she caught the eye of William Cavendish, who was the treasurer of the Whoa. king's chamber. But regardless, this was love. 
Uh, Bess has caught the eye of Sir Will's Cavendish. Um, and on the 20th of August, 1547, they were married in the Grey family home. So I think that kind of shows what a close, what a close connection Bess has clearly built with the family. Yeah. And William Cavendish probably had his own connection with the family, but it's quite sweet, even though he was almost twice her age. They seem, it seems to be a very happy marriage. Um, and it produced eight children, six of whom survived past infancy, which we, let's three, 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 three quarters. Three that's pretty good. That's a, that's a, that's a good survival rate. Three and four. I like that. So yeah, they have eight, you know, great survival rate from their kiddies. Um, shout out to the kids. Um, and also during this marriage, he purchased Chatsworth Estate, um, most likely by Bess's uh, persuasion in her home county of Derbyshire. And I think what's very interesting, especially for anyone studying A-level Tudors, is that Sir William Cavendish made his money through the court of augmentations <gasps> and basically buying off really cheap monastic land. And because he had this connection... He was a treasurer. Uh, because he was a treasurer, he kind of got first dibs on the monastic land and got to, like, you know, bargain about it. So... I think that that's really interesting. She persuaded him to sell some of that and instead purchase the Chatsworth Estates, as I already said, in her home county. Um, and that is kind of where one of her... As in, I feel like Bess of Hardwick is famous. Well, she's not as famous as some of the other people have done, but one of the things she's famous for is the properties that she built because, oh my God, they're gorgeous. Like, like to the point where Queen Elizabeth got like really cross with her because she was like, why do you have nicer houses with me? That's not really fair. Basically. Basically. Uh, so, yeah, Chatsworth House, and um, obviously that's where Chatsworth estate comes from. That's kind of the first property that Bess finagles for herself, I would say. You don't look Finagles? Have you guys never heard the word, the word finagles? <laughs> Is that a word? Yeah. It's like to like work your way into something and get what you want. Guys, I actually find it really interesting seeing when it has been used the most. So, use over time for finagle. It's actually it had a bit of a spike in the 1950s. But, oh my god. From the century to 2019, it has grown exponentially. Um, yeah, so it would, It kind of seems like she kind of finagled her way into getting the Chatsworth estates. And, like, she convinced him. And that's kind of where her... We see her kind of design architecture really starts to come through. Um, but unfortunately, she doesn't have the best track grapples with marriage and surviving that long. Uh, and in the 25th of October, 1557, he dies, leaving Bess widowed once again and in deep debt to the crown because of the different purchases that he's made. You know, it's kind of like waiting for the revenue to come through because she's a woman, she doesn't really work, so she can't really work on the revenue, blah, 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 blah. Uh, loads and loads of sex with them, basically, is why she's in debt. Um, and so the third marriage, she remarried very quickly, um, this time to help with, this time mainly to help with like her financial situation because of the debt, and also she's got six children to look after. Um, and she marries... Sir William St. Lowe in 1559, and this is probably, I mean, each marriage she's just get climbing. It's better and It's better. getting better and better. Like, this is a very, it's once again, another impressive step up. Um, but this is 1559, and so he is captain of the guard to Elizabeth I and chief butler of England. 
Um, so yeah, and then due to his close connections with the queen, he managed to reduce her debt and pay the rest off himself. And guys, I just wanted to say it. Chivalry is not dead. Oh no, <laughs> that doesn't make any sense because he's literally dead. Chivalry died with him. And paid the rest of himself, so you know, very lovely. Um, once again, he was definitely her senior. You know, we're definitely seeing. She all the men. I mean, you can already see why at this point she's been, you know, she historically gets accused of being a gold digger and maybe some, t- some people go as far as to say she may, have, she may have given her husbands a little bit of a nudge to help them over the edge. But I mean, I disagree with that person. Some say gold digger, I say entrepreneur. I think that gold diggers are entrepreneurs. Exactly. They are their own kind of entrepreneur. They're one and the same. And you know what as well is that you had to be. I feel like we're not like appreciating like the girl boss of women. Sorry, no, 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 but you're actually under something. <laughs> so just think, because at the time period, still now, as a woman, you have to step on the shoulders of men to get to brilliant positions, and I think that's just what Bess did. Bess is more like the best woman because she did what she needed to best do. Best of hard work. Good on Bess. Good old Bess. She, the best. So, you know, due to this marriage, she's once again stepped up in the world, you know. She becomes Lady of the Bedchamber, I believe. Really? I believe, I read that, um, it's not certain, I believe she became Lady of the Bedchamber and enjoyed, she definitely enjoyed close contact because of this position and a favour with Elizabeth. Like, they definitely, I'm not saying that she became Lady of the Bedchamber as soon as they got married. So, in this kind of like, high position of high favour in court. She also served under Catherine Grey. Under? No, that's probably the right word. And she was also part of like, uh, she was also like a lady for Catherine Grey because like, I feel like you can do both probably. It seems that she made a close friendship with Catherine Grey, uh, most likely because she served as a lady for her, um, as well as, you know, lady of the bedchamber for Elizabeth. Um, and so she was confided in by Catherine when Catherine, well, if you know Catherine Grey, you know that Catherine secretly married Edward Seymour, James' nephew, uh, in 1561. Uh, and they had to marry in secret because Elizabeth didn't want Catherine to marry because she was Ed, blah, blah, blah. We could do a whole episode yeah, of Catherine. But basically, it was not good news that Catherine had married Edward, even though it was it was like a love connection, it wasn't like a political connection. It was a love connection. But this did mean that she lost her favour with the Queen and Elizabeth lost it at her. And if you don't think about Catherine, you know that Catherine was arrested for this, but so was Bess, and she was placed in the Tower of London for several months until Elizabeth's anger had blown over. And she was allowed to leave, but she was banished to Derbyshire and was not to come back to court. Quite extreme. Yeah, that kind of goes, that's her life until 1565. But she Guess was... what happens again? I would just like to add that she was fabulously wealthy at Derbyshire. She oh not, god, yeah, she it wasn't was a punishment. No, it wasn't was, a punishment, it was more just like a, Elizabeth being like, you don't get to be in my friend group. You get mm. to go and have loads of money at your wonderful country manor well, I was, with yeah. all your children and a very comfortable lifestyle. And work on your building, your yeah. manor. It wasn't, it wasn't that much of a punishment, but I do think 
But do you know her favourite Greek heroine was Penelope? But she was a very independent Greek heroine. And oh. Bess was a keen tapester. Tapestra. Tapestra. She loved to make tapestry. She only ever made one. <laughs> she made multiple, and her favourite one was her one of Penelope. 1565. I would say tragedy strikes, but it's already happened twice before. Ladies and gentlemen, she is widowed. But, you know, I would say that this was not at any kind of cost to her. Like, the two of them never conceive any children. Um, but, yeah, so when William St. Lowe died, he didn't have any heirs, and so he left um, pretty much as much of his wealth as he could to Bess. Um, I mean, to the detriment of his daughters and his own brother, who didn't really get anything. So, um, but yeah, so she then took on the uh, the two daughters of Sir William's previous marriage, um, but they were already adults and pretty well provided for, so it didn't really impact her much. Um, but upon his death and her inheritance, she became one of the wealthiest women in England. Her income was calculated to be around, to amount to £60,000, which is the modern day equivalent of £20 million. Whoa. It is, however, you know, Sir William St. Lowe did die in suspicious, slightly suspicious circumstances, uh, which is probably one of the reasons why people once again think Bess might have done it, especially as she got a fat chunk of money out of it. But it's most likely that he was actually poisoned by by his own younger brother. And therefore, it's kind of karma that his brother didn't inherit anything out of it. She becomes one of the richest women in England, and she continues with her. She also, have you guys seen her portraiture? It's beautiful. It's very on, like, feminine for the time. Like, yeah. it's very powerful. Like, it's very Elizabeth. It's very, but the thing is, it's very Elizabeth reminiscent. Like, she it looks like a, she looks like she holds herself and positions herself like yeah. Elizabeth I. I think it's really interesting. She's not super decked out either. I think in terms of jewels. No, but it's also it, it's not like a, like an over the top. It's yeah. like yeah, I've got wealth, she but I don't need to, to show. It. Yeah, like the fact that I have these portraits of me in these beautiful houses is enough. I think also it kind of helps to stop that suspicion of like you've had multiple husbands, you've got loads of money. She's showing I have had multiple husbands but that's because I'm a good wife I'm modest and she's not going there and looking at all of her jewels so somebody can look at it and go this is a gold digger but she did actually marry for a fourth and final time to a man called George Talbot who was the was sixth break um, as well because I'm like I think it's the biggest break between marriages <laughs> he was the sixth Earl of Shrewsbury in 1567, that's when they married, sorry. He was in very high royal favour, and through this, Bess became a countess, so Countess of Shrewsbury, an ambition we should all strive for. Yes! Soon after they got married, in 1569, Shrewsbury was made a custodian, the custodian, of Mary Queen of Scots. And this is obviously a huge position, and it's a really good opportunity to show his loyalty to Elizabeth and to show his loyalty to the crown. He was probably chosen for this because he was the highest ranking peer after the Duke of Norfolk. And he was just a really ideal candidate from Elizabeth's point of view um, to manage this kind of exiled Catholic queen. Because he was a Protestant, but he wasn't kind of a strong Protestant. But he was Protestant. so <laughs> He wasn't a Catholic threat. He wasn't 
Yeah, it wasn't like he was going to collude with her. No, it wasn't like he was at risk of befriending Mary Queen of Scots because he definitely... Yeah, and that's... He really like, he knew he had to win her... I would say compliance. <laughs> I would say compliance, but he knew that he didn't need to win her affection at all. And that's what Elizabeth was really scared of, is the fact that Mary could win over some of her courtiers and then stage an uprising. But anyway, he obviously did very well. He remained in charge of her for 15 years. He basically moved her around all of his many mansions that he held so that she didn't have enough time in one place to build up a power base. Very smart. Mary did come to kind of respect him, but after about a decade, he actually began to fall into a quite a dark state. So his moods got really bad and he got really paranoid about how he was kind of communicating and interacting with Elizabeth. So he felt it was really necessary to keep going around and denouncing Mary and kind of saying how bad she was just to kind of prove that he, he was on Elizabeth's side. Yeah. And also another part of it is having Mary at his mansions. It was like hosting a royal court permanently. This was super expensive. Mary refused to make any contribution from her French income on the off chance that one day she might be released and she could use that money. And Elizabeth only ever paid a tiny proportion of the expenses. So this was not like an easy job. He was... It was hugely costly for Shrewsbury. Also, she... I don't know if you have anything about, like, how the couple interacted, but, like, I read, yeah. like, in loads of places that she, like, played their insecurities off each other. But, like, the more paranoid Shrewsbury got, the more she tried to... Um, Mary tried to convince him that Bess was stealing from him and things like that. And so... This caused a lot of rifts. <laughs> yeah, she yeah. definitely sent the couple apart. She definitely, like... Yeah, she definitely like manipulated, like, um, then psychologically manipulated them. And well, Mary and Bess actually spent quite a lot of time together because obviously they're in the same kind of budget. I know, but um, Bess would kind of have a gossip with Mary. She'd tell Mary all the bad rumors that she'd heard about Elizabeth. So stuff like Elizabeth had been discovered in bed with the Earl of Leicester. Elizabeth wasn't a virgin. Those kind of things. And Mary, actually, while later, claimed Bess had told her that Elizabeth was, and I quote, not like other women. So basically, oh. Elizabeth was infertile. That it's like questionable whether Bess actually said this to Mary because they were in quite a big argument at the time, and it's likely that Mary just wanted to get Bess into trouble with Elizabeth. But it's like notable that it was it was a realistic accusation. So obviously, Bess and Mary spoke a lot and gossiped a lot. But one of the biggest problems that came with Mary being in residence with Shrewsbury and Bess is that it really unraveled their marriage. So Bess was a very ambitious woman, but she was also a very kind of paranoid, suspicious woman, almost like her husband. And she was very convinced that Mary was sleeping with her husband. And this led to their marriage just completely breaking down. Um, you can see it in the terms that Shrewsbury used. So in 1568, Shrewsbury called Bess my own sweetheart and my jewel. And then 10 years later, he refers to her as my wicked and malicious wife and wow. also my professed enemy. So you can see there's a huge change in tone. It's like mothers to enemies. Yeah, that's exactly what I think. <laughs> but yeah, um, he actually refused to spend even a single night under the same roof as her. And this also forced um, Bess to move back into her old childhood home, Heart of Cold Creek. And this is when she begins, kind of, probably what she's most famous for, she begins to construct a new house around her old family home, which became Hardwick Old Hall. But, like, before this was finished, the plans actually changed, and because in 1590, Shrewsbury died, and you can obviously tell 
that she got a lot out of this because not even a month later the foundations were being dug for a Hardwick new hall. So she must have gotten some good wealth out of this. <laughs> also the other thing we can tell that she got good wealth out of is the fact that I mean Hardwick Hall has famously been described by someone um more glass than more Hardwick Hall more glass than wall. Yeah. Um, and glasses are really expensive, especially at that time. Because yeah. it was just. And so she got Robert Smithson, who was who was kind of widely known now as England's first architect, to produce the plan for the new building. He used, as Katie said, a lot of glass, and he used also ideas of symmetry, which was quite a new kind of artistic thing to be seeing in buildings. Um, you can see it a lot in uh, buildings that came up in the renaissance era especially in italy so that's why like i mean for that time that would have been quite modern if only for it to finally be coming to england there wouldn't be much of that and you can actually see that the size of the windows increases kind of progressively as you go up the building height wise and the turrets are topped with the initials es so there is no question of who commissioned this and who kind of created it she moved in in 1597 and four years later, she compiled an inventory that showed the ri- kind of just the whole richness of the house, all the furniture, obviously the fact that she is one of the wealthiest women in England. And, I mean, probably after the Queen, she's probably the next wealthiest and probably most, influ- most influential at this time. We Which got some... really rubs Elizabeth the wrong way. Yeah, but we've got some evidence that she actually had an okay relationship with Elizabeth, so... She sent three letters to the Queen in her lifetime, and one of them is kind of saying, I cannot sufficiently in words express the infinite and great comfort I have continually received by your majesty's most princely favours to me. So, kind of suggesting Elizabeth treats her pretty well, as Elizabeth gives her some gifts, that kind of thing. And actually my favourite bit is in 1575, Bess gave Elizabeth a blue cloak, which was embroidered with flowers, and that had a carnation velvet trim. Bess was told by a courtier that Her Majesty never liked anything you have given her so well. So obviously this was a lovely gift. Very Um, well received. Elizabeth would have got a lot of gifts, so it's a proper honour for it to stand out. Final kind of remarks on her. So Bess Hardwick died at 5pm on Saturday the 13th of February, 1608, age 81, in her favourite of her houses. And I'm pretty sure she was buried in a tomb in Derby Cathedral. And she died, which she was remembered as one of, she was remembered as one of the richest and most powerful women in the kingdom. I mean, there have been stories about her body lying in state for weeks uh, in a great chamber at Hardwick House, but those are most likely mythical that she would have lied in state, especially since her kind of you can definitely see that she was after power like there's no doubt about it because she did try and push her granddaughter towards the throne and wanted her granddaughter arabella stewart to inherit after elizabeth we always talk about it and it's good to come back to it but just the power of having an exact time for when she died this was something that people were watching they were looking at and we were recording where i don't know if it can be left in but there was a bit of discrepancy around her birth and yeah definitely the rise that she had yeah i think also the little takeaway she doesn't like uh i think she's a very powerful 
woman, she realised that she had to forge her own destiny and she kind of, I guess she kind of used word, worked out how to use a patriarchy to her advantage. You know, she was pretty and smart enough. Uh, and I think, yeah, I think, she, I think she is very intelligent. She's clearly very intelligent. And in the end, she kind of got what she wanted. And I don't know, I just don't think she's that controversial. I just don't think that she's necessarily that well known. And so I was quite interested to get her story out. Also, I think we should go on a group trip to Derbyshire and visit all the I agree. Well, I, when we said we were doing her, I knew who, knew who she was and I wasn't really that fussed about her. But I actually did a bit of research on her. I found it really interesting. And she doesn't necessarily have kind of books, that many books about her, but she comes up in so many of the books about Elizabeth and Mary. So she was extremely influential during those reigns. And yeah, I just thought she was really interesting to look at. So thank you all so much for listening. We hope you enjoyed it. And yeah, follow us on social media. At the Talk Time. On all platforms. But yeah, we hope you enjoyed it. We'll see you next week on Shooter Talk Time.